1: Welcome to the Tuesday RotoWire DFS podcast, brought to you by FanDuel.com, the leader in one-week fantasy football. I'm Adam Wolfe, joined as always on Tuesdays by Chris Olson. You can find Chris's stuff on RotoWire.com. He writes the weekly "Dominate Your Dual" piece uh, for us on the site. RotoWire DFS podcast is now available on iTunes or Stitcher. So if you can get a chance to rate or review us at any point, please go ahead and do so, and don't forget to share and subscribe. Last week of the the baseball regular season, Chris. Uh, Exciting times on 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 Fanduel just because it seems like there's a lot of overlay with all the excitement going on concentrating and concentrating in football, but I feel like this is typically the week where a lot of players just jump back on baseball, uh, knowing that they might not have any further opportunities to do so.
2: Yeah, there's that. There's the overlay, and there's also, we get a lot of weird and exciting matchups that could have a lot of edge based on just because teams are out of it, and maybe they, they want to run out some rookies, or they don't want to play their best players, give them a rest for the playoffs. So there's definitely a lot of edge to be had uh, in these last three or four games here. A lot of edge
1: and at the same time a lot of frustration just because the playing time situation is so uncertain for a lot of players. And teams change their rotations kind of on the flip of a coin it seems like at times. like uh, Just looking at Tuesday's slate, for instance, we don't know for a fact yet if Masahiro Tanaka is going to start on Tuesday. He's been dealing with an injury of late. Possible that you know the Yankees might just decide if once they clinch their postseason spot, hey, let's not even risk the situation at all. Let's just rest him entirely for the postseason. So, uh, don't know for a fact if he's going to start, and that's just one of many up in the air situations as we as we approach this week.
2: Yeah, uh, the Yankees are being cautious, and I think as DFS players, we should be cautious too. If we have a situation like that where a guy might be injured, I mean, e- even if he goes. You know, who knows what you're going to get out of them. And, and in that case, if there if there's a guy who has an injury with a team who would probably be smarter to limit him or rest him entirely, maybe want to steer away from uh, from picking that pitcher or, or that uh,
1: player in the lineup. And that gives added, you know, safety, I guess, to, to pitchers that are – you know, have something to play for, are healthy right now, and I think if you just look at some of the, the pitchers that are going on Tuesday, there's a very clear upper tier uh, that, that you look at. I think Clayton Kershaw and Madison Bumgarner, who will face each other, you could argue, will probably be on a tier in their own uh, in terms of price on FanDuel, but uh, guys like Johnny Cueto and Cole Hamill's not far behind in that regard, so uh, with that in mind, out of those four pitchers, Chris, who do you feel most comfortable structuring your lineup around?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little boring here. I'm just gonna go for the, the chalk and take Kershaw. Um, not not the least of which reasons is that he's the best pitcher in the game. But he's a he's a ground ball pitcher, about fifty one percent. Giants are the fourth worst team in the league in fly ball percentage. Uh, the, the Giants actually are okay against left handed pitching, but I just think that Kershaw offers so much upside with the, with the strikeout-to-walk ratio and, as I said, the batted ball profile that I'm pretty comfortable uh, rolling with him and seeing what I get there.
1: I mean, I certainly don't expect anybody to receive bad results from Kershaw. I just do worry about the win factor a little bit. I, I think that, frankly, Bumgarner might actually be capable of delivering the better outing. Uh, he's got a sub-2 ERA against the Dodgers this year in three starts. Typically, fair is better uh, when he's pitching in San Francisco versus on the road, so I can definitely see both those guys. Kind of going mono a mano, and maybe this is end, ends up being decided by the bullpen. But uh, either way, I think you're going to get plenty of points from either, um, even if uh, the bullpens ultimately do decide the win. But uh, I think out of the safest of those options, I'd probably go uh, lean more towards Cole Hamels. I know he probably doesn't have uh, the strikeout or low ERA up, low ERA upside that you might get from Kershaw or even Bumgarner. But I think what he's done lately. Uh, Gives me some added confidence. Had a rocky start to his time in a Texas uniform, but does seem to be settling in of late. Uh, 278 ERA, 8 Ks per 9, over 55 innings covering his last 8 starts. So uh, we've seen good results from Hamels in that regard. And I think the fact that he's going to be facing a team like the Tigers, who uh, still have some guys that can scare you offensively, but Miguel Cabrera really hasn't looked the same since returning from injury. Uh, same can be said about Victor Martinez as well. And then beyond those two and J.D. Martinez, there's really not a whole lot to, to fear in that Tigers lineup. So I think even though that he does you know, have the start at, at Arlington, which isn't uh, always most ideal for pitchers, I think that there's uh, enough to like with what Hamels has done lately, along with this team context, that really gives you some confidence in using them.
2: Yeah, um, I was kind of back and forth on this. Ultimately, I think I, I wouldn't. just for some of the reasons you mentioned. I mean, yes, the the Tigers have certainly had uh, a bit of a swoon here, and the injuries, as you mentioned, guys coming back, maybe not 100%, but still still enough, I think, uh, that the lefty-righty matchup can hurt. And as you said, Arlington, I I just feel like there are enough pitchers with some more upside. Uh, They may be a little bit higher priced, but if we're talking about the top-tier pitcher, I think that maybe... Hamels is, is still a bit too much of a risk for
1: my taste. Well, I would definitely agree with you that Kershaw um, and even Baumgartner probably represent a little bit more safety in terms of uh, a floor that you're going to see from them than Hamels does just because of uh, the type of results Arlington can produce and the type of crooked numbers that Hamels has kind of had affixed to his his game logs at times of seasons. But I, I think any three of those guys are safe. Queto worries me a little bit just because of how up and down he's been since joining the Royals. Although he's been pretty good the last two times out, I don't know if I'm necessarily sold on him, uh, even against a a team like the White Sox. So I do think that there is some risk with Cueto and probably with Hamels relative to to Kershawn Bumgarner. But uh, if you're not going with any of those four guys, I think that there is some value to be had in the middle tier, uh, particularly with Tyson Ross. He's probably probably my favorite pitcher of the guys that aren't going to be uh, so priced up that you really can't afford some of those premium bats. So I think... That's why Ross might be a guy that I target uh, if I'm doing some multi-entry lineups because he has the home park advantage and he's facing a Brewers offense that's really been bad for most of the second half. And now they're going to be without Ryan Braun. He decided to undergo back surgery. His season's over. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy has returned from a concussion, but the Brewers don't want to start him bes- behind the plate. Uh, so he's kind of time-sharing with, with uh, Adam Lind at first base, doesn't figure to get in the lineup uh, with t- with Tyson Ross being a right-hander. So I think just the downgrading of the Brewers lineup, along with Ross's recent results, twenty strikeouts against five walks in his last two starts really gives me some confidence. I just think that there's a lot to like about his overall profile.
2: Um oh, of course there is. And as you said, there's there's a lot to like about uh him facing this Brewers team especially. Um just when you look at the Brewers, especially against this matchup, it, it just it favors us across the board almost. Uh, they're bottom five against right-handers, by the way, to run creative. Plus, they're bottom ten on the road. Uh, they're 24 out of 30 in fly ball percentage among teams in the league. Ross, as we know, is a ground ball pitcher. So there's, there's just so much working for us here. I've, this is almost the spot where I think Ross allows us to not have to reach for those, those Clayton Kirchhoff, the Madison Puff Gardner, just because, well, one, as you mentioned, he, he's, a, he's a fairly good pitcher in his own right. And two, he just has a very favorable matchup that uh, so many things going for him that you might not always get. So when you see something like this with so much stacked in our favor, um, it really behooves us to jump on it, I think.
1: And we'll talk about why it's valuable to to go with guys like Ross sometimes if you do want to... to stock up on some of those premium bats, which I think I'm going to plan on doing. We'll get to that when we explain the hitter section. But just the savings that you're going to get between Ross and Kershaw. Obviously, there's even more of a risk with Ross than there probably is with Hamels. But I think uh, just because of the the factors that he does have in his favor, particularly particularly the home park and the lineup that he's facing, uh, I think that just you know works so heavily in Ross's favor that it outweighs any negatives there. Um, and he's somebody that. Uh, Probably hasn't had as good of results as you would have thought this year at Petco. He actually has a better ERA on the road than at home, but I think generally speaking, Ross is going to be steady more often than not. It's just a matter of him uh, making sure that his control is on point, because that's really been the major factor that's pre- prevented him from uh, working deep in games this season.
2: Yeah, and that, that's been that's been a reason to, to uh, stack against him in certain contexts, in my opinion, but I don't think we have much to worry about here. I think I think this is as safe as you can get for a pitcher who, as you said, is not perfect. But you know the perfect guys, you know they, they cost a lot more money. And you know we talked about them up top. This I think a lot of DFS, especially when bargain hunting, is about um, finding guys maybe with some flaws, maybe not perfect, but they have that matchup that will neutralize or maybe even negate a
1: lot of those flaws. And one final pitcher name that I'll throw out there that um, probably will make a lot of people even more uncomfortable about using than Tyson Ross and some of the other names we mentioned, but it's Matt Moore. Uh, Obviously, coming off that Tommy John surgery, you kind of expect a little bit of uneven results. But I think what we've seen from him the last two times out since he rejoined the the Rays in September uh, does at least give you some level of confidence heading into his Tuesday matchup. Uh, against uh, the Marlins, and really the Marlins aren't anything special offensively right now. John Carlos Stanton looks like he'll probably get shut down for the year. A lot of key hitters out of that lineup right now, and uh, just the the ones that they have in there right now aren't aren't producing at a level that really uh, strikes fear in your heart at all. And I think based on what we've seen from Moore lately, 13 and two-thirds innings his last two starts, he covered seven innings against Baltimore, six and two-thirds innings against Boston. Struck out 16 batters against both of those teams, which um, aren't really bottom of the barrel offensively. Those are some decent offenses. And uh, just the fall from from Baltimore and Boston to the Marlins, I think, does work in, in Moore's favor pretty heavily. I know that there's a lot of risk. He has been quite inconsistent when he has been uh, given the starting opportunity this year since he returned from Tommy John. But uh, I just think that there's a lot of uh, elements going in his favor here that he's somebody that you want to keep an eye on, maybe if you're doing a tournament play, just to differentiate yourself a little bit.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I just, I think pitching is is pretty thin too. That Moore, uh, ironically enough, was almost was almost a stack option for me. But in the end, I, I couldn't pull the trigger because it's the Marlins and and I had uh, I had other better ones that I like. But I just I still don't trust Moore, even though I recommended him. I recommended him as a stack last time. Kind of made me look a little silly, but I'm I'm still gonna gonna have my reservations here just because. He's a, he's a fly ball pitcher. Marlins have the highest ground ball rate in the league this year. Uh, 382 Wova against righties. Um, the Marlins have some some righties uh, that, that can swing the bat. You know, uh, Martin Prado's been good. Marcelo Zuna has been uh, doing well against lefties. So even though it's the Marlins and we tend to think of them, and for good reason, as a team with an ineffectual offense, I don't know, and coupled with Moore's, in, uh, inconsistency, as you said. I just don't know if uh, that's going to be a slam dunk trust option for me.
1: Well, yeah, there's definitely a ton of risk there, and I don't think that he's somebody that you're, you are going to want to use in 50-50s. Um, generally, I think the mantra that I think you're, you're kind of embracing here is that you want to pay up for pitching just because so many of these matchups feature a lot of teams that just have nothing to play for right now and are really just kind of giving uh, pitchers the trial and error run right here just to see if they can p- potentially fit into the plans in 2016. So you want to kind of gravitate gravitate towards some of those pitchers that you can at least rely on, that you know are going to we- work deeper into the game and that you can count on getting good results from. Moore doesn't necessarily fit that bill. I mean, he'll probably get a, a quick hook if he has any type of struggles early on. Um, so definitely it has a lot more risk than some of those other guys we mentioned.
2: Yeah, and I think that's a good point, too. I mean, as good as, as good as Moore has been uh, over the past two starts and he has been, this is a guy who um, generally hasn't pitched that much this season, even when he's been out there. Uh, he hasn't pitched much this season. Uh, 6.2 in his last start against those Red Sox, that, that was uh, – his 2nd longest outing of the season went seven the start before that against Baltimore, but before that, uh, no more than five innings in any of his starts. So as you said, uh, if, he, if he's running along and he's doing well, then great, but who knows how long he's going to be out there and who knows how much adversity he's going to be able to pitch through, which is another concern that you may have to worry about.
1: Chris, before we start talking about some of these hitters, I just want to recap uh, the Week 3 action in the FanDuel Rotowire Experts Challenge. I had my best week of the season right now. I was fortunate enough to roster Cam Newton and Greg Olson, who both went off, Devontae Freeman, who also went off. So uh, right now I'm sitting in first place heading into the Monday night football matchup. I think a couple guys uh, have Aaron Rodgers on their roster, so I might have to to worry about some of those teams out there. But uh, really right now it's got me really excited for, for the FanDuel matchup that we're that we're, that we're doing it with the company. I just kind of wish that I entered some, some other some other lineups for Sunday just to take advantage of it. But um, it's not too late for me or anybody else to get involved with that. If you think you're good at fantasy football, the place you want to prove it at is FanDuel.com. FanDuel is the one-day le- the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. The money is real, and they're paying over $75 million for week four of the football season. Building a team, pretty easy. You just pick your players, stay under the salary cap, and then sit back on Sunday and watch uh, the games unfold and watch your team uh, rise up the standings. And entry fees can be had for as cheap as just $1. Pretty much no barrier to entry there for anybody. And if you know fantasy football, you just have to prove it at FanDuel.com because that's where everybody's going right now. Uh, if you played FanDuel this past week, let me know how it worked out for you. You can find me on Twitter at WolfmanTweets and tweet me your lineup and offer any su- or ask me about any suggestions that I have uh, for, for week four. And if you're just a new first-time user of FanDuel, you can always uh, subscribe by clicking on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner of the site. And if you use the code RWDFS and sign up for the first time, uh, for every dollar you deposit on FanDuel, we'll match it with up to 200 bucks that gets earned as you play. It's a bonus of up to $200 uh, for for first-time users. Offer is only good, though, for the first 50 people that use the code RWDFS today. Again, that's RWDFS. And the site is Fanduel.com, where every day is a new season. Fanduel.com, sign up today. All right, Chris, we're going to take a look at some of these batters and stacks for for the Tuesday slate. And I think my general theme is going to be uh, to turn towards the teams that have something to play for in the postseason, just because... Uh, a lot of these lineups right now are just so much so much tinkering going on. So many of these teams like the Reds and the Brewers out there that are probably going to remove some of their stars early uh, just to avoid the risk of injury late in game. So I think it makes sense in a lot of ways uh, to target some of those lineups that do have something to play for. And with that in mind, the, the lineup that I probably like the most actually is the Pirates against Michael Wacca. Think about Michael Wacca. He's usually a guy that you want to stay away from just because of how spectacular he's been this year. But... The numbers recently give me a lot to worry about. It seems like uh, his arm's starting to wear down as he's embraces a, a career high in innings right now. He's walked at least three batters in four straight starts and has surrendered five homers in that span. And uh, those are aren't you know elements of Waka's game that we've been accustomed to seeing this year. Uh, he's just really uh, seeming to tire down the stretch. And I think a team like the Pirates, who you know are still trying to chase down the NL Central title. Uh, directly with the Cardinals I think they have a lot of incentive to to keep all their bats out there so I expect Gregory Polanco, uh, Starling Marte, Andrew McCutcheon, Aramis Ramirez and Neil Walker to comprise their top five hitters and Walker has reverse splits for the season so I think really any combination of batters you want to go with uh, lefty righty I think it's going to work there so that would be probably the the lineup that I'd be most comfortable uh, structuring my team around
2: yeah uh, you make a good point there about Walker and the innings limit. I mean uh, ordinarily, I wouldn't think of this as such a great sack for the reasons that you mentioned that uh, Waka is thought of as a good pitcher and is a good pitcher. Um, but also, I mean, the batter bat ball profile overall doesn't really suit it. I mean, Waka is, is a ground ball pitcher, and the Pirates don't do that well against fly ball pitchers. But, as you said, um, we could be seeing some real evidence of, of tiring there, reaching the innings, um, the career-high innings. And that's something that doesn't necessarily sh- would show up in the season statistics yet, but it's definitely something that we should be aware
1: of. Yeah, I mean, if, I think if you are a season lawn owner, you probably aren't benching Waka at this point. But for daily, that just makes daily so unique is that a pitcher can look like somebody that's a set-it-and-forget-it type in, in season-long. But in daily, you do want to note the trends in recent production and uh, note when there might be an opportunity to take advantage because uh, Waka does seem to be tiring here down the stretch. But uh Kind of like me, you think that another playoff-bound team in the Mets is also going to have plenty of success on Tuesday, uh, though probably more for the, the quality of the team that they're facing rather than the pitcher himself.
2: Yeah, um, I feel like, I, and with apologies to David Buchanan because I know that, that I pick on him a lot, but uh, he really does seem like a guy who is just just destined for the minor leagues. Uh, he has an ERA approaching 8 over 63 innings. I mean. I, I like going with advanced statistics, but I don't even know how much we needed after I said that. Um, he, he does have an exit under four against righty, so you may just want to stick with the lefty power bats, your, you know, your Grandersons and your Dudas, but um, no matter how you do it, it, it really does seem like the Mets are going are gonna to put up a big number here, even if you do just want to go four straight in the line and get a righty in there. Uh, just for some more salt in the wound, Buchanan, actually an extreme ground ball pitcher. Uh, Mets' fifth-highest fly ball rate this season. So there's, there's just a lot of things where the Mets, it, 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 it just looks for
1: sure that they're going to be putting up a crooked number on Tuesday. Yeah, and another, another name that I threw out there as well is maybe Michael Conforto, also left-handed bat, could potentially provide some profit uh, if you decide to use him against David Buchanan. But really, I think the Mets, uh, they just have a wealth of options right now that they can use in their outfield or at first base. So that just gives... Them a lot of ways that they can go about this, so you definitely do want to keep track of those of those lineups as they come in on Tuesday before necessarily uh, going with all the Mets that Chris mentioned.
2: Yeah, um, that's as we as we mentioned. You know, be sure be sure to be vigilant. I mean, maybe somewhere in the in the middle of the year, you could maybe sleepwalk it and say, "Okay, I know this guy's going to be," in, I wouldn't recommend doing that at any time. But you could be a little safer doing that then. But now. You really have to check and see, well, which guy's going to get a day off, who's going to rest. Um, Duda uh, is coming back from injury uh, fairly recently, so that could be an example of a guy like that. So always make sure at the end of the year to check your lineups before entering the contest.
1: Another game that I think has a lot of run scoring potential, really from both sides in, in a certain respect, is the Reds and Cubs matchup. Uh, doesn't really strike you as a high offense matchup when it first meets the eye just because of the opposite side of the spectrum and the standings that these two teams find themselves at. But I do think that the Reds could have some success against Dan Heron. Uh, ranks right among the league leaders in home runs allowed this season. So that allows me to maybe uh, sprinkle in some Joey Vado shares, some Jay Bruce shares, maybe some Todd Frazier shares into my lineup don't necessarily want to do a full stack of Reds just because they're another team that's been playing a lot of AAA-type talents at a lot of different positions. So I I think the ceiling on offense might be capped there, but uh, some of those power bats that have been doing it all year, like those names that I mentioned, I think could have some success. But really, I think uh, the Cubs are probably going to overwhelm the Reds here just because of uh, the matchup on the pitching side for the Reds. They're going to have Josh Smith uh, tentatively scheduled to start on on Tuesday, and Smith's been nothing short of terrible this season in the big leagues. Seven twenty three, seven twenty three ERA, nineteen to sixteen K to BB ratio over twenty three and two thirds innings. Uh, like you said with Buchanan, I don't think we need to dive much further into advanced statistics just because of how terrible those numbers are on the surface. And I think that really any Cubs bat makes sense. Obviously, they do strike out a lot, so you might want to stay away from some of those more strikeout prone guys where. Would that would cause you to lose points on Fanduel, but uh, by and large, I th- I think any combination of four or five bats uh, are going to achieve a lot of success against Josh Smith, and even if he probably doesn't work deep into the game, the Reds bullpen has also uh, struggled all all its all season aside from uh, as Chapman. So I do think that there is a potential to pile on as well for the Cubs. Uh, just really like this matchup going in their favor. Yeah, uh, Josh
2: Smith, as you said, another one, another one of those guys, right? That that. Uh that we love this time of year. I mean, this is why we play. A guy like this who would, who would oh, basically never never see time or that much time in a normal circumstance. certainly not a rotation pitcher uh, by any means, but the, the walks, as you said, have been phenomenal. The home runs allowed have been phenomenal. And uh, as you said, I mean, even the XFIP, which could be a little kinder to a pitcher like this with a really high ERA, 5.7, so any way you look at it, uh, just hasn't been performing well, and with the the power bats in the Cubs' lineup, uh, could really, really do some damage here, and a, a really nice opportunity for a full stack in that
1: contest. We'll stick with the theme of just AAA quality pitchers getting an opportunity here down the stretch. Christian Bergman of the Rockies is one of those those guys. Uh, he's pretty much been working in a long relief role all season for the Rockies, but so now he's now going to step into the rotation for Jorge De La Rosa who's out for the season with an Achilles injury. But Bergman, uh, the results on the whole this season haven't been great, and it sounds like the Diamondbacks could potentially do a number on him.
2: Yeah, uh, Bergman is a guy who's uh, stepping up uh, for the second uh, consecutive start, actually, because of an injury to Jorge De La Rosa. So he'll get the ball, but uh, there's, really, there's really nothing to like here about Bergman. Uh, the last start he made, uh, which was Pittsburgh, uh, uh September 23rd, he got lit up, 3.2 innings, uh, seven earned runs, a walk, and a strikeout. He's going again. I don't expect him to pitch more than 3.2 innings if, if he even gets that far. I mean, the, the last time he pitched more than that before that outing uh, was in May. He threw 5.1, but he's been a 2-3 inning pitcher for most of the season, so if... Uh, if you're looking to go over there, maybe maybe more of an under the radar stack because they're not they're not playing in cores, they're playing in Arizona, so um, maybe other people would shy away from that for other for other options. But to me, this is another situation that we've been talking about where could be a bullpen game, could be uh, Bergman gets hit right away anyway, and the Diamondbacks certainly have enough uh, firepower in the bats to uh, really make this a high run scoring affair.
1: And if it does turn into a bullpen game, as I think we both kind of expect, the Rockies bullpen, really nothing uh, that you need to be afraid of there. John Axford's probably been their best pitcher all season, and he has an ERA over four uh, working as their closer. So this has just been a terrible pitching staff uh, all around, whether you talk about starting pitchers or relievers. So I definitely do think that there's an opportunity for some of those Diamondbacks bats uh, to strike there. And even if it's not necessarily the stars, the Diamondbacks do have a lot of depth. Remember, uh, this is a team that has been forced to bench you as Monty Tomas uh, for, for most of August and September, even though that he's uh, hit over 300 for most of this season. So I think even if you uh, try to take advantage of some of those Diamondbacks reserves uh, or guys that just don't play every day, like Phil Goslin, maybe and, and Tomas, for instance, those are guys that are going to have cheap prices that could potentially uh, put up a lot of points against Bergman.
2: Yeah, and, and that's something to look forward to too. And that's uh, part of the reason why I, I referenced the, uh, the Marlins side is we're going to have a lot of cheap bats in there that can really put up a lot of big points. And that's something that, especially if you're facing a pitcher on the ropes or um, you're in a unique situation as we are now where we're almost guaranteed to get a short outing from the starter, those guys can really help you save and have a potential to put up a big point total.
1: And one more pitcher that I do want to take advantage of on the stack front is Daniel Norris of the Tigers. He's had some better results of late since coming back from the minors uh, for the Tigers. But on the, on the whole, uh, he's kind of disappointed me this season. I was expecting him to, to have a pretty big impact when he was a member of the Jays, but uh, just had issues with walks left and right, it seemed like. and uh, Although he's corrected that flaw a little bit here in Detroit, I do think that there are going to be some inconsistency issues with him. Could definitely be the case on Tuesday, and even if he isn't uh, necessarily bad, uh, he's going to be capped at around 80 or 85 pitches as the the Tigers look to preserve him for 2016, and that opens it up again to another bullpen game potentially, and the Tigers' bullpen is, like the Reds and the Rockies, has ranked among one of the worst in the majors this season, kind of reflected in how much... Their, their closing situation has been in flux seemingly throughout the second half. I feel like there's been four different closers there already. So I do think that there's an opportunity for the Rangers to take advantage. And both lefties and righties have had success against Norris this season. So I think any combination of those four through five hitters in the order should work well. Uh, maybe he's shy away from Shinsu Chu just because of his struggles against lefties this season. But uh, the Rangers lineup in Arlington is really uh, not anything that you want to stay away from. Just about... Anytime that they're facing a pitcher that's not, you know, Clayton Kershaw or any of those top tier guys, and I think this is an opportunity where you can really take advantage of that. And remember the Rangers still fighting for that ALS crown and playoff positioning in general, so um, probably will keep most of those bats in the lineup.
2: Yeah, and this is another situation we talk about uh, we talked about Arlington and well if it's if it's bad for uh Cole Handles, it's going to be bad for Daniel Norris, and probably doubly so, because obviously we're not talking about the same quality of the pitcher. So um, Daniel Norris is a fly ball pitcher. The Rangers are top ten in ground ball uh, this season. Rangers have had a little bit of trouble with lefties, but I wouldn't really be that concerned about that here, um, just because, as you said, Norris not been great this season, and the Rangers, as I mentioned, do have a, a favorable uh, bat and ball matchup, um, the, the park, as we said. So there's definitely something to like here and probably some value out of uh, maybe lefty end right
1: hitters. I think that's going to do it, though, for the RotoWire DFS podcast. Once again, that's brought to you by FanDuel.com, the leader in one-week fantasy football. podcast is also available on iTunes or Stitcher for your downloading convenience, so be sure to give us a rating, review, and don't forget to subscribe. And as always, best of luck on your daily contest.